All right. What's up, Dean? Hey, mate. How are you? Welcome, awesome. everybody. I think this is um, this is episode seven. Love it. Man, that's gone fast. Which is pretty cool. I know. Yeah. Come through. We released a bonus episode today on the feed from the Vast podcast. Cool. I interviewed Tyler Preeb, who runs a thing called Missional Labs out of New York City, which is essentially a venture incubator for missionary concepts. So it's pretty cool. So he meets wow. with- um, and Like supporting the- missions efforts around the world or- yeah, or essentially like who in local churches is building out modern mission expressions, mission organizations, redemptive entrepreneurship. So it's pretty cool. So he's doing this incubator and he does a thing called the Missional Life Course. It's basically all about, you know, they had people in their church that were on Broadway and worked at Goldman Sachs and mm-hmm. worked at Google and maybe didn't have the bandwidth to like serve on a team every weekend. But it right. was like, how do we essentially affirm the way that these folks are serving the local church and serving as a missional leader. So it's pretty cool. It's a that's, pretty cool episode. And that's kind of a new way of thinking, like traditional missions, right? Go on a missions trip. And, you know, I spent the first 10 years of my, you know, faith walk doing missions like around mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of near and dear to my heart. We, we support a lot of missionaries, like, you know, on our platform too. And mm-hmm. we give them a lot of resources to be able to obviously raise funds, but get the word out is the key, right? How right. do you... How do you keep your donor base informed? And of course, yeah. from the old days of writing newsletters and printing stuff, now you mm-hmm. you know can light up an app or send a do it on social and, or whatever. Well, and that's part of what he was talking about. You know, the days of like missionary comes into town, speaks yeah. on a Sunday, gives you the calendar to put on your fridge, yeah. and you remember to donate. And yeah. he kind of just said, "There's got to be a new way of totally, um, you know, building it." So it's really good, really good episode interview. Good. So that's on both both feeds, but. Um, What's been going on with you? Are you in where? Where are you at? Are you? In I am Atlanta, in. Or are you in Utah? Park City, Utah, land of the now, free, uh, which is home for us. You know, we're mm-hmm. living the Utah life out here. It's, yes, it's, it's beautiful. We love it. So skiing. You've been skiing. Yeah, I did. I, I did get up to the mountain uh, a couple of days ago. It's so close, and I I take my laptop with me, and I go to the lodge there, and I can do a few meetings and whack the skis on and hit the mountain for three or five runs. And yeah, there you go. It's, it's pretty cool. That's- that's nice. I uh, come to work here uh, where I'm working now, and I, I drive over the 110, and I see all of the temporary homeless housing. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of the same. It's kind of the same. Uh... Same, not same. <laughs> I know. We were back in L.A. for Christmas, and no comment. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it is what it is over there. Yeah. Yeah, you get one level of inspiration on the way to work. Yeah. Mountains and my level of inspiration is a beautiful. Yeah, I'm looking at like eight, <laughs> 8,000 foot beautiful snow capped mountains and fresh air and, yep. and like, you know, Deer Valley prosperity driving past like yes. $14 million homes. Exactly. <laughs> Which is not where I live, but I drive past those. Yeah. And uh, it's inspiring. Right. Yeah, it's so beautiful, beautiful out there. Okay, so I started uh, playing around with this thing online in the last couple of weeks. That's this new platform I wanted to tell you about called Calshi. Okay. Um, so, you know, we've talked in previous episodes of both you and I being people that like to stay informed, right? Knowing what's going on in the world, politics, economics, markets, yep. you know, culture. And so this thing is really cool. It's essentially they've taken sort of like sports betting and they've gotten it uh, approved and it's like fully regulated. And essentially what you can do is you can bet on or trade on current events. Um, wow. It's pretty cool. So, yeah. So, so basically you can go in and you can set up an account. It's really easy, like transfer some money in there and, um, you can literally scroll through. So some of them are like, you know, will Biden's vaccine mandate be blocked by the courts and you can bet, uh, people want to bet on that stuff. Oh yeah. It's crazy. And, and you can literally watch as the option market goes, goes up and down. So it's everything from, 
how many new COVID cases will the U.S. average by February 1st to that's you know, hilarious. Who, who will win best new artist at the Grammys? <clears throat> and then you can also bet on like if you click uh, economics, you know, how will the Fed set interest rates? Will average gas prices be higher this week than last week? Right. Um, and so it's just a fun little way of going, um, I'm <clears throat> reading this. I'm going to bet 25 bucks on whatever I think is the. Uh, right. You know, the, think about the rise of sports betting just in the last couple of years. FanDuel, like DraftKings, Pan, like all these guys, yeah. Portnoy, right? Like what he's yeah. done with his network, the Barstool mm -hmm. guy, it's just been explosive. Now, little context, in Australia, where I grew up, betting on like sports, like horse racing and stuff is in the culture big time. Yep. And then when I moved to the US, you know, many years ago now, it, it was kind of a taboo thing. You didn't, especially in the South where I spent a lot of time, like sports betting was like, associated with like cd vegas or atlantic Same. city right yeah you and had a now, you couldn't do it on on your app on your phone you could yeah. no 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 yeah. or you had some illegal bookie right that you yeah. called up mm -hmm. and it's in i was reading i actually read an article a couple of days ago like 18 states have approved this that the revenue obviously is massive for the states mm -hmm. and just the like i was watching the golf the other day and golf which is a conservative Yep. Like it's everything but the CD world of what used to be thought in a in a way of betting. Now I can bet on the golf as it's happening yep. and the odds are coming up, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. you're in the final round and someone's – so culturally it doesn't surprise me that now people can, you know, bet on economics and current events mm -hmm. because this whole thing is – and I'm not sure what to think about it, to be honest. Like, you know, like should as a, as a Christian – What's my thing? Like I've, you know, I've been in Vegas and, and, you know, played blackjack for an hour, but like my betting exists these days is I put one bet on red on a roulette wheel and walk out, right? Like I'm not a gambler. Mm -hmm. um, is this a vice that right. is, right? And like, and so you got addiction to alcohol, you got addiction to this and this and this. Gambling addiction is real. Mm -hmm. It is, And yeah. is this going to fuel all that? And so what's... Right. So I'm not, I kind of haven't thought about it enough to form a position on it yet, but I don't think it's good. Right. <laughs> like I just, my gut is like, this is not going to end well. And there's a lot of people that have, don't have a lot of self-control. Well, exactly. And here's what I think is interesting. So we look at it and my initial thought is, was just like you was like, oh, I'm yeah. betting. I'm right. betting on current events. Right. Well, here's essentially how they, uh, explain what they're doing and the the language they use is really unique so to summarize the two core reasons to trade on Kalshi, one trading on convictions so it's not betting it's trading right is the, <laughs> the key the key difference and then number two like tra um, like on robin hood like that's not i mean exactly you could make the argument that the the whole meme stock thing in the last 12 months is just another form of gambling 100 percent. it's right. exactly exactly what it is right yeah so and then they say number two reducing financial risk so with oh, practice, Kalshi allows investors to execute against a variety of trading and hedging strategies, and they call them event contracts. So it's like uh, – Sounds like on, justified gambling to me. Yeah. Somebody, somebody on Madison Avenue sat down in a boardroom and said, how do we change the language around this? Totally. Um, but it's kind of it's, – it's definitely funny because I'll go on there. I think I put in a few hundred bucks, right? And I'll just bet, you know. Here's your show. Avant-garde, man, like out on the edge. I'd never heard of this until you brought it up today. <laughs> I, you know, I, I tend to go down these rabbit holes, maybe a little bit too, uh, maybe a we, little bit too far. Is this, but is I this, 
would you put this on par with like your NFT dabbling or is this a different? Probably around the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like I read about something or whatever and I, I'm interested in it and then I want to like experience it. Yeah. You know, okay. so I want to know. And then I kind of want to know, like, do I, you know, I get do it. I know how many COVID cases Texas is going to have next week? You yeah. Know? I don't know. Um, well, if you get a little too addicted, I'm always here to talk you off the ledge. It, yeah, exactly. And That's, hey, listen, you know, I, uh, I, in Bible college, I helped pay my way through Bible college by running a poker room. Come in on. Dallas. So come maybe on. I, you know, I, <laughs> I've seen the dark side. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Of gambling. Uh, I love the good game of poker. You got to have a good buy in. Otherwise, like when we play with Jake, mm -hmm. you know, he's like all in all the time. And cause, mm -hmm. so I'm like, you know, there's got to be a buy in because you can't just throw your hands away. So, yeah. Now it's well, like we played just a few weeks ago. We played at your place, and Jake won. And, and he's, he's remarkably like, consistent you know, when it comes to poker. I will he, say that he, he gets bored after twenty minutes and then just starts going all in. And this yeah. time it was just yeah. and he's a terrible bluffer. He it's couldn't like, lose. <laughs> and I'm not sure when I play him, he beats me. But anyway, we'll leave that yeah. for another day. Yeah. Um, okay. So one of the newsletters I subscribe to is called the Future Party. Um, and it's just an interesting kind of weekly update on just different things that are happening in the world and culture, finance, all that kind of stuff. And their last newsletter had an article called Gen Z trades job loyalty for personal fulfillment. Their headline was Gen Z is ditching jobs almost faster than a TikTok trend. They have no problem jumping from job to job, spending only on average of two years and three months at any given position. That's because Gen Z is prioritizing personal perks. Things like flexible schedule, strong benefits, and company values, equity, even like environmental impact over a steady paycheck. Basically, a bit of an interesting perspective on mm -hmm. uh, no surprise. Loyalty, I'm not surprised by any right? of that, right. by the way. Mm -hmm. Employing a lot of Gen Z, you know, millennial kids. It's like, mm -hmm. and we have a very high loyalty factor, you know, fortunately. Uh, um, but yeah, that doesn't, none of that surprises me at all. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that, a big a big line item in the budget of any company is recruiting and hiring and you would almost wonder how companies are looking at that now going mm -hmm. how much money is it worth trying to invest in recruiting and getting top talent right and uh, keeping their own and keeping them um, <clears throat> if they're only going to stay with us for two years or less i mean i have a lot of thoughts around this one is um th this generation is very missional on how they want to use their time so they don't want to work for companies and businesses that don't align with their mission. We're not talking about hourly starting kind of type job. We're talking about usually college educated or entrepreneurial type people who I want to go to work at a company on purpose. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's how you should approach beginning your career. You might not know what you want to do or where you want to end up, but you want to go to work on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So, and <laughs> the good news right now is the job market is tight. You can take your pick, right? It's not always like that, but at the moment it is. So yeah, aligning your kind of career goals and, and life with uh, a company that you can believe in is helpful. And I think on the, on the leadership side, on the boss side, you know, I, and because I think discipleship is a big part of how we think as Christians too, especially in Christ, Christian leadership essentially exists to move people forward in their faith and move people forward in their life so they become more Christ-like. That's what you do as a Christian leader. And if you do that full-time for a living, you know, other than bringing people in the door and introducing them to faith and in Jesus, what you're doing is trying to grow people. That's it. Mm -hmm. And there's 
that has many kind of doorways that lead you in different directions on how you do that. But I have the same mentality as a boss. Like I want people who work in, you know, my company to grow in the skills that they, you know, have to develop to do their job well, but also in life. And I, I unfortunately, even in business, found it hard to take my shepherd hat off mm -hmm. because I care for people. And now I don't, I, I do it unsolicited. Like you have to come to me, right? As a, as a shepherd in the church, you are a shepherd. You have a rod and a staff, right? So you bring guidance and rescuing, right, with the rod and the staff. And so that's the whole picture that Jesus gave us, right, as, as pastors. So you're shepherding sheep, which is guiding, stopping them from falling off cliffs, rescuing them when they do something crazy. But I, I have that mentality in my business. And I know a lot of guys that I know who are believers, they have that. You just care for people. But it's different. I, I can't go to someone and and kind of delve into yeah. their personal life or, or I'm going to have HR issues pretty quick. Right, right. So, uh, but I've actually found it pretty, I don't know if it's just how I function or because I did ministry for 30 years, but people come to me that are, that are my employees and ask me about stuff in their life. And um, I'm slow to give advice these days, but if it's solicited and I just try and separate it and, if they feel comfortable, I'll, I'll, you know, have conversations that are not as in depth as you would as a, as a, you know, full-time church minister. But so I, I love growing people. All yeah. that to say is if you come and work for me and you've got an entrepreneurial kind of heart and you want to stick around for two or three years and learn and then get an idea and go and do it, I'm going to celebrate that. That's how mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Well, and something to pull out from that that I think is interesting is that I think most people who work at companies it's almost like they're afraid to go to their boss with totally you know, an well, idea or a thought or even any kind of desire. And it, it sounds like employees should be thinking like, who's that person at the company that I work at that I want to speak into my life and speak yeah. into my future. And then I want to run ideas by, and a lot of companies probably don't have, you know, think a lot about like mentorship. I, I think tech, changed. I think tech is, as that has changed, you know, 10, 15 years ago in my generation, you would never tell your boss you wanted to go start a business because you'd be fired. Right. So you just, it's like telling your pastor you want to go and plant a church, right? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's afraid yeah. you're going to take hundred of his people yeah. and go down the street. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think that is very different, both in the church and in business, actually. I think technology, what what I learned in around technology is how how there was so much cooperation around helping someone else be a success. And the whole mentality of I'm going to and venture, like think about like, you know, giving people money to go and roll the dice on some idea, knowing that tons of them are not going to work and then giving them another chance. If you, mm -hmm. you know, blow through $10 million with the idea, it's not like you're out for good. It's almost a badge of honor in Silicon Valley anyway. But I, no, I think the mentality now is much more collaborative. And I think that's a good thing. And I, I think the church can learn from that, actually. I think I, I see a lot more cooperation in churches now on church planting and releasing of ministry than certainly my generation. We were very kind of hoarded in and protective. But right. I think that culture is shifted. And in business, and you know who does it the best is is music. When mm -hmm. When you see a music artist, and I'm sure you could think of three examples faster than I can, and they like they collaborate with an other artist right in the same genre or not to build and boost their career of someone else i always found that really cool yeah. that 
you know, these bigger well-known artists would grab and less well-known, you know, the, the hip hop kind of, you know, rap world does it really well. Mm-hmm. Someone breaks free and then they're, they're, they're discipling and bringing up that next group. I, I think that's a good thing in business. You know, it's interesting too, because I, I, like when I read an article like this and I see, okay, so the average is two, two and a half years. I, I can't help but think how many of these people that are switching these jobs want to be, want to be an entrepreneur, want to go start their own thing. Right. And what opportunities are they missing where they currently work yep. at now? I mean, yep. one thing that I, and I feel like old saying this, you know, I'm like 35, going to be 36, which is still, mm-hmm. you know, young, but in my twenties, there were multiple times where I was working for a couple different bosses and they knew that I wanted to do my own thing and they were aware enough to say, ah, probably not the right time yeah. for a bunch of different reasons. But here, let's like put you over starting this new department or starting this new ministry in the church or whatever it was. Yep. And I think there's something to be said about people looking for entrepreneurial opportunities within the companies they work with yep. and work in to practice, to learn but also in that level of safety, so to speak. That's a so great you're not point. not completely out on your own, you know? That's a great point. And I think we've talked about this before. Like, uh, do you have the right stuff to go and create a business out of nothing? Some people can, some people can't. Maybe you don't know until you try, but that's a really great point. Are you working within a company where you feel challenged enough to develop your skills to where one day you could go out on your own or partner with someone? Uh, I think that's a great first step if you're working in an environment that allows that. And, you know, if I have someone come to me and say, hey, I'd like to do this in the company or and we're actually pretty proactive on it. Like we'll see someone that's done something for two or three years and they're really good at it. And maybe we get an opening and a whole different kind of, you know, but they're good people that learn fast and, you know, dedicated to the customer. We'll move them around and give them opportunity. So we, we try to be a bit proactive on that and keep developing their skills. But yeah, learning you, getting your entrepreneurial chops within the safety of a, a functioning business that has room for you to try other things is absolutely awesome. Mm-hmm. What what advice would you give for somebody who is in that position? Yeah. They're young, they're at a company, maybe they have a side hustle, or maybe they have this dream of going and starting their own thing, but let's say they're yeah. not financially able to yet, or they're just yeah. not you know at that place. Um, what are some like really practical steps they could take within their own company? to either broach the conversation of, hey, I want to try something a bit more entrepreneurial, or can they just start tinkering with stuff on the side and yeah. in terms of within the, you know, within the ecosystem of where they work and say, hey, look at what I've look at what I've built. I'd be upfront about it and tell you direct report or the if you bump into the CEO or whatever, um, I'd just be honest and say, hey, look, I love working here and I really want to grow and I want to be challenged. And so I would just be really open and honest with the people that you're working for and let them know. And then I would take initiative. So the person that gets up the ladder the fastest is the one that takes the initiative. Mm-hmm. Even if what they do doesn't work perfectly, if you've gone ahead and tried something that within reason, right, you're not going spending company funds on stupid stuff. You're not breaking kind of HR rules, but yep. you're just trying to do things better within the framework of your job and you're willing to maybe kind of go a few different directions to get that done. That person is rewarded in my eyes very, like very quickly. So yeah, I I would definitely like, I I have this thing that it's like, well, I want to go and do X. Well, just start doing it. Don't tell me what you want to do. Just start doing it now. And if I want to do something, I just start doing it and it works or it doesn't. But yeah, initiative within the framework of being an employee is 
maybe my number one kind of thing that I look for. When you're considering someone for a, a job, moving them around your company, it's like, I mean, what you've done. And if it's obvious, let's go. So, okay. So let's go to our next topic. So, uh, we're both obviously listeners to the all in podcast, um, big fans, big fan, and just appreciate like the differences of opinion that they come with. It's yep. really kind of refreshing to just hear yep. friends who are on completely opposite ends of some, um, some ideas, just kind of hash it out like in a way that's, you know, is, uh, I, I would say though, I don't know if you feel this over the last 12 months, they're, they're all coming a little closer together. They are what I would call the common sense middle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. They're, they're slowly getting, slowly yeah. getting there and, and they still like to, you know, poke fun. Um, but totally. yeah, they're, they're all getting uh, a little bit more towards the center, but they basically had this conversation. So obviously everyone right now is talking about tech stocks selling off tech valuations, tech valuations in the private equity and in the VC space valuations coming down, sort of coming back. They're starting in the public market first, right? So it always starts right. in the public market because that's where all the liquidity is within a company, it's public. So I can go and buy or sell it like in seconds now. And then eventually when those multiples, right? So companies are valued at some number times their yearly revenue, technologies should go forward revenue, right? So if I'm doing a hundred grand a month, the way tech valuations work is they're saying, well, you're gonna do a million, right? In the next you know, million two in the next 12 months. And I'm gonna value that at 10 times. Right. So your business is worth, you know, 12 million to me because you're doing this go forward 10 X of your go forward 12 month revenue. Those multiples have gone to 50 and 60 times. So which is, it's never been like that in tech. And, and is, is that because there has been so much cash, uh, sloshing around and, over the last couple of years and because of COVID there's just, and is it, and that is, I would suppose it's venture firms yep. that have been setting that multiple well think right? about the think about the cycle since the last real pullback prior to the COVID thing was 08 and that was the uh the real estate crash prior to that that was the dot-com in 2000 i've been around for both of those since 08 you know 09 and 2010 were kind of bumpy everyone was getting off there but in the last 12 years and i put COVID aside for a second there's been unprecedented growth and creation of wealth, mm -hmm. unprecedented. Mm -hmm. We're talking trillions of dollars being created and all that money has to go somewhere. So traditionally, whether it's a sovereign wealth fund of a, you know, the Saudi or the Norwegian government, or it's, um, you know, endowments from Harvard or Yale, which are in the billions, or it's private equity firms that traditionally have been very less, you know, risk averse, like they, they do more conservative. Even those conservative places where a lot of money is held have been squeezed into these more traditional venture vehicles that take more risks in, around startup. So you start doing that 10 years ago, and guess what happened in the last 10 years? Companies like Tesla went from this very risky early phase startup to printing money, <laughs> right? And, and so what happens is, is all the people that invested in Facebook and, and Tesla and Apple and Amazon and Facebook and all the rest 10 years ago, those are like thousands of times X of their investment. So then at some point, those funds that the, you get the money back to the investor and what right. does the investor want to do? He wants to let it ride again. 
because <laughs> he just he just he put in a million and he just got back fifty, right? And that's what's happened, right, in the last ten years, especially. So mm-hmm. you, you multiply that effect and you have trillions of dollars. So what happens? The pandemic hits, and like there was the first two months, like what the heck is going to happen? And then all of a sudden, some businesses benefited from COVID. Some, you know, if you're in the, like our business did, because we're in the online giving business for churches. And if you didn't have a giving button on your website, you were dead. So mm-hmm. we, you know, us and Zoom and I guess uh, now we're facing different challenges now because we're through the bubble and we're back right. to regular growth. And that's another conversation for another day. Um, and then you've got, if you're in the hotel business, you've got hammered, right? So there was winners and losers in COVID. But it doesn't take away from the fact that there was all these billions and billions of dollars sitting around and it has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is, is all the success of technology, like Web3, Web2 has matured to the place where it's created so much wealth, that's got to get reinvested. And, you know, there's going to be cycle. It's always cyclical. We're in the time inflation period. There's going to be some, but I think underlying once we get through maybe 2022, well, it could be a bit bumpy because of uh, supply chains and COVID, but there's so much money around. It's just going to get poor. I think we're in a golden era of wealth creation. And wow. uh, it's just, it's it's going to go through cyclical bumps along the way from things like pandemics um, and maybe overheating of markets. And then we've got this inflation thing that hopefully we get under control, but it's not going to stop. And if you're on the sideline, you're thinking, you like, there's two ways you can think when you see success. You can get jealous or you can get involved. And you can like, you know, I, I'm, I, I hammer socialism. I hate it. It's evil. Socialism. I find people that think that way are jealous people and they're jealous of someone's success. And they're like, you don't deserve that. Right. So you should, I'm going to take some of it either through excessive taxation or outright theft. And I need to redistribute that. Mm-hmm. That's the mind of a socialist. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're jealous people mm-hmm. on the whole. And so you can, if you think like that, that's where your mind's going to go. You're going to be jealous of Elon worth 200 billion. You're going to be jealous of Bezos, right? I think, how many people does um, Amazon employ? 800,000 men? I don't know. I just think that guy's created a million jobs. And oh, by the way, you thinking that everyone should get 15 bucks an hour or whatever the minimum wage is, guess what? It's 25 because the the free market has worked. Mm -hmm. And these companies are so successful. They've created this marketplace for great jobs and people are getting benefits. Amazon's now paying for school tuition for you to go to night school, for you to go to college. So you're the left guy that I would, everyone needs to get free college. The free market did it, moron. The, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So the, the, the free market, COVID, all of it has forced companies to pay more, make working conditions better. Yep. Give better incentives yep. to all of it. a company and stay at a company. And there was no legislation needed. Unneeded, unneeded. Right. right. So, you know, so it, if you either get jealous at success mm-hmm. or you, or you get inspired by success mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just choose to be the person who, who is inspired about success mm-hmm. and you'll do well in life. Hey, yeah, it's looking at it going like, you know, uh, uh, looking at somebody who's been successful and going, you know, can I do that? Uh, yeah. can I even do a portion of that? You right. know what I mean? I mean, it's like totally. every person that I look at that is successful that completely in my own humanity intimidates me and makes me go, man, I, there is no way I'm smart enough to do that. I meet five who I go, you know what? They're smart, but they're not that smart. They just have persistence yep. and they 
do what you just talked about a little bit ago, which is just like start doing things. Right. And, and you know? the first person that you're intimidated by, mm-hmm. get up the courage to get around that person. That's who you should right. be around. Mm-hmm. Like anyone that I, you know, I've, I've been for, I've met a couple of billionaires, you know, in, in my like time. And man, I just, I sit there and shut up and I listen to every single word they say. And I want to be around people that are way more successful than I am. And I want to be challenged by those kind of people. And that's, that's the difference, right? I can get jealous and intimidated, or I can get inspired and want to learn. And if you, if that's like a life attitude, if you just carry that, and if, if you're in a job, you, you could, don't get intimidated by the people who are really successful around you get around them mm-hmm. like the old 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 saying is you can hang with the turkeys or fly with the eagles right and i'm gonna fly with the eagles every chance i get and i think it's often more attainable than we think you know well, it really is especially Most these days who are exactly you can find someone's email like you can you you mm-hmm. can virtually find anyone you can dm them on social media there's so many ways to get around successful people now mm-hmm. don't even tell me that this is hard it's not right so it sounds like to me you are um bullish on the next 10 years of oh, growth yeah. and, and innovation. Yeah, 100%. So, so basically they talk about in this episode, they're just talking about, so obviously this is the current economic climate we're living in. And Jason asked, what is your best advice for early stage founders in the current environment? Uh, assuming they have 18 months of runway, 18 months of runway, essentially meaning 18 months of uh, money in the bank to pay the expenses of the business. to keep. If you don't make a cent. If you don't make a cent, right. So Chamath, responded to, to this and said, I think Paul Graham's advice makes the most sense here, probably <clears throat> being the founder of Y Combinator. You need to focus on being default alive. So Paul Graham has this essay, default alive versus def- default dead. And essentially the idea is this. He says, when I talk to a startup that's been operating for more than eight or nine months, the first thing I want to know is almost always the same. Assuming their expenses remain constant and their revenue growth is what it has been over the last several months, do they have do they make it to profitability on the money they have left? Right. Or to put it more dramatically, by default, do they live or die? So right. uh, Chamath's response here would be, over the next 18 months, a founder, an entrepreneur needs to be thinking, am I default dead or default alive? So it, it's so different depending on what stage you are as a business. And by the way, some of the greatest companies ever were started in an environment that was negative, right? So we can call this inflationary markets are a little bit edgy. Some valuations are coming down. Starting a business now, a lot of times it's a good time to start a business. So there's a, when do you start a business? When is a good time? All the time. And, but the, what, what he's saying, I think is like, okay, let's be wise. There's uncertainty. We've had 10 years of unprecedented growth and we've had trillions of dollars pumped in by the fed. Um, stimulus upon stimulus. There's all this cash around. People are, getting out of the workforce, which is putting pressure on the labor market. Um, we've got COVID shutting down factories in China and Vietnam. We've got chip shortages. Like we've got total chaos. And oh, by the way, there's inflation. So bond yields are going up. Tech stocks getting sold off. So there's, there's uncertainty. Okay. What do you do when you're not sure about the future? You make some common sense decisions around if you're a business conserving some cash, maybe lowering expenses. So the idea, I kind of, you know, we're beyond that phase now in our business. We're profitable. So we have cash in the bank. And if the whole world went to hell tomorrow, we'll, we'll be fine because we're, mm-hmm. we're beyond that stage, right? We're not mm-hmm. burning cash. We're, we've got EBITDA revenue that's profit, okay? You want to get to that point as fast as you can. 
you know, we've been in and out of EBITDA for a while now, and there was a time where we wanted to spend some money to invest in our product and our people. So we, you know, we went back to break even, but we did it on purpose because we ratcheted up a bunch of hiring around engineering, but we knew that would pay off. And, you know, you just kind of, so the whole idea of default alive or default dead is if you're in a, you're a startup, you always start thinking about raising money when you're down to nine months of runway, which means it costs me a hundred grand a month to run my company. And I have a million in the bank. That, that means you have 12 months and you're going to burn a hundred every month, burn, burn, burn. By the time you get to like, you know, 900 grand left, <laughs> nine months or something. Um, it's like, yeah, you better start thinking about either raising more capital or getting your expenses down to 50 grand a month, which is very hard to do when you're trying to grow and, you know, get yourself back to 18 months runway. So this is only, this is a really subset problem for a, a kind of small amount of companies, mostly in tech. But if, you know, if you've got a cleaning business or you're running a, you know, plumbing company with two trucks, and even though that sector, <laughs> construction, everything is booming, right? Kind of nationwide, you run off your feet. But, you know, it's just the, the principle of when things, when times turn and they always turn, there's always a cycle, right? Nothing goes up forever. Nothing goes down forever. And I, you know, it goes up more than it goes down, thankfully, over the last hundred years. You look at the stock market. Okay. Um, you just there's times to be conservative, and so you know we have um, we have cut some expenses through attrition. Like some people have left, and we've we've chosen at the moment not to rehire that position. And we have 180 something employees, so we can move some people around. But you know I'm going to be pretty conservative this year because mm -hmm. there's uncertainty. So when times are uncertain, like we're in the boom, and a lot of young people that listen to this, they all they've seen is growth. And all they've seen is prosperity. And the, the reason the millennials were so down on everything is they they were raised in in the 08 drama. Mm -hmm. They they were graduating college in 2009. Well, the right. whole whole world, which was me and my friends, you know, right? So which if you're is in why your those, 40s, those people, yeah, they got their job and they stayed. They were afraid to leave exactly because exactly. because it it took a year and a half to get one. If you, know? you came out of college five years ago, all you've known is prosperity. So, and if I'm 57, you know, I've seen a lot of ups and downs. I remember 2000, I remember owning Cisco stock in, in 99, 98. And man, I never thought that would go down. And I, you know, relative, right. I'd made like 20 grand in, in Cisco stock and it was worth five. <laughs> you know, our CFO, he, he'll tell you a story. He went to, he went to Hawaii on a vacation and went to bed. That uh, they just kind of sold their, their, one of his companies, and uh, he woke up like literally millions of dollars poorer. Oh my gosh! So most people in the last five years don't know what that means. They don't know that, right? Right. And then mm -hmm. the the COVID thing is is interesting. There was an unprecedented amount of government stimulus pumped into the system, and so it didn't doesn't even really feel like tough times. And then put the labor shortage on and what wage. Wages are going up. So it, I don't even count this as a recession, right? right. It was a self-induced, you know, lock everything down. Probably in hindsight, we shouldn't have done that. But yeah, it, this cycles to everything. And when it's, mm -hmm. can you forecast a tough season? And okay, I better conserve my, my cash and write it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think the thinking of that default dead versus default alive, it's almost like that's something that a founder 
no matter how big or small the business is, needs to be thinking about all the time anyway. All the time. Right? It's not just in a uncertain year or an uncertain economic climate. It, it really, it needs to be the discipline of thinking about that all the time and then knowing when to pull the growth lever and then when to kind of ease up. Yep. Okay, so lastly here, um, I want to ask, and this is good because it's it's kind of one topic leading, leading into the next. So Brad Gerstner, who's, uh, I think he runs a, runs a hedge fund and a VC fund, um, he said this uh, the beginning of this week, and I think it was just like a good overall, this is where we're at um, in the market as a whole. He said this, he said, the markets have spoken, COVID is over, government stimulus is over. Uh, January 2020, yeah, uh, January 2020 pre-COVID levels and growth multiples have fallen 50% back to January 2020 levels. Um, you know, it kind of goes on and he says, yes, VC valuations coming down too. All tech valuations correlated, announced VC deals of 60 to 90 day lag, uh, starts with late stage deals and works its way to earlier stage. And then he says, massive volatility caused by pandemic, unprecedented government response is unsettling, but should be cause for celebration. The world is going back to normal. Tech is clearly more important than ever. And now we can get back to building and compounding the old fashioned way. Amen. Um, so the world is getting back to normal. Tech is more important than ever. We've obviously talked about that at length. What does he mean by, and now we can get back to building and compounding the old-fashioned way? In f what, what inflated values do is they suspend common sense, right? So someone comes along and says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay you 20 times your revenue, 30 times your revenue, and you've been going two years. And like maybe you raised a, a million dollars at a $10 million valuation, and then someone comes along and says, like, here's five million and I'm going to value it, you know, 80 million. Like, that's what's been going on. And that, that's, you know, there's been very highly documented situations. Look, the, the WeWork disaster, right? That was SoftBank coming in, going, putting ridiculous but on a real estate company that was posing as a tech company. So right. the problem with tech is that the businesses, especially SaaS, they're so good. They have predictable revenue. And if you can keep them growing 20% a year, you, you just get these enormous valuations, you know, privately or publicly. So, um, but if it goes, if everything's a cycle, like what I just said, and when things are like so bubbly and great and hot, people, A, they think it's going to go forever, but it, it just doesn't. And so we suspend reality. And so you start making decisions that are not, the kind of thing. So I, what I think he's saying is that little period is over. Let's get back to the fundamentals of growth, which, which is effort and productivity, getting product out the door, getting new customers, like just the business of whatever you're doing. Let's just get back to basic business principles and all this frothy extra. Now kind of, I'm, I'm kind of oxymoron here because I, I believe there's so much money out there still, even through this kind of little choppy period. But look, you, you just have to know that what you are doing in a very exciting growth phase changes. The way we grew in years three, four, and five is different the way we're growing in year seven. And you, you have to like understand that nothing goes bonkers. There's very few companies that can be huge. That's why Apple is, is such an incredible business because at that, the size of that company to, to grow 30%, 40 is unheard of. Amazon, I mean, this is insane what those guys are doing. That's very rare. Most companies don't do that. So yeah, the cycles to all this, get back to the fundamentals and get to profit as quick as you can.
And so then, then you're the master of your own destiny. If you don't have to put your hand out and, and, and get people to invest in what you're doing and you can like just put print money out the door and then go and reinvest it in expanding your business, that's the way to go. Great. Awesome. Awesome. This was fun. Episode yeah, number totally. seven. Oh, we have some really cool interviews coming up, which are going to be good and have more and more people coming on just to talk about what they're building and their philosophy, their perspective, their theology around why it's important to do this for the kingdom. So I'm excited to keep doing this. Good stuff. Awesome. Good to see you, man. Awesome. Yeah, good to see you. See you, everyone.